third-party retailers, wholesalers, and other middlemen. Shall it be death by a billion clicks? Today, we're talking about direct-to-consumer brands. I'm Chaz, he's Britt, and this is The Furious Curious. Holiday shopping strategy is in full swing as brands like Warby Parker and Everlane make a run at Amazon's throne. But today, when we talk, people see that they're going to come through on the other side, but how do they do that? And I think direct-to-consumer is is really been the key um, takeaway here. We've also seen a complete shift in consumer preference. Consumers are now concerned with how they buy. They want to buy directly from independent brands. Now, it may also help these direct-to-consumer brands avoid the Black Friday and Cyber Monday discounts that traditional retailers are touting all this week. So call it a DTC ecosystem. It's arising to handle every step of the e-commerce process for brands that may be wary of working with Amazon. So direct-to-consumer brands, Chaz, this has become immensely popular. This is why we're talking about it. Yep. You know, one could argue, you know, the, the dot-com bubble of the late 90s is kind of how things, how kind of that and e-commerce got kicked off. It's, it's mainly used to refer to online retailers who sold products and services to consumers through the internet. That's kind of how it started. What, what, what can you say about this? Yeah, I, I think that's it, really. I mean, it refers to you know, selling them directly to consumers, bypassing any third-party retailers, wholesalers, yeah. or any other middlemen. They're usually sold online only, but that's not exclusively the case. And a lot of these DTC brands have tentacles into the brick-and-mortar world. Um, some of the flagship right. ones that we think of, you know, Casper, sell their mattresses. Yeah. Warby, like Warby Parker with their eyewear. Everlane yeah. Fashion, Harry's Razors, Outdoor Voices, Athleisure, Away Luggage, uh, as well as Dollar Shave Club. So it, a range of these have popped up uh, to varying degrees of success and controversy in the last several years. And it feels yeah. like we're at an inflection point where many categories are going to be disrupted as a result of this. But what's your overall take? Everything I was reading about this, it was like retail is in the most significant reinvention we've ever seen for an industry that, you know, I know I talked about the 90s here, but like for an industry that's barely existed uh, a decade ago, this is quite a trajectory, right? You know, what it means to be a retailer is evolving ever since this introduction of e-commerce, which is now an older term, right? Yeah, I mean, like you said, Dollar Shave Club, uh, Away, Casper. Which, by the way, they're they're not telling us they're not they're not paying us to say any of these. But if they want to, they can. Well, they're not paying you. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> I just um, got a uh, brown paper bag delivered this morning. So, oh, I see. What's in thanks. it? Thanks. Uh, thanks for it's actually um, some polyurethane memory mm. foam that Casper mm. is doing it with a prototype. So it's, it's been gotcha. great. I've never seen nice. it. Yeah, you look great. Thanks. Replenished. <laughs> no, but I mean, th it seems like the development of the internet has has paved the way for this in many, many recent years. And it's now just, there's a confluence of forces that have now made this kind of explode over the past few years. Yeah, no doubt about it. And just so also everyone knows that we, yeah. what we're talking about, you know, we mentioned Away, we mentioned Casper, we mentioned Dollar Shave Club. Other brands are Glossier, Hymns which mm. is a sort of a men's health brand, you know, specifically for erectile dysfunction as well as hair loss type drugs. Rent the Runway, Stitch Fix, uh, we mentioned Warby Parker, I mentioned Allbirds, and, and Bonobos, which was actually acquired a couple of years ago, I believe, by Walmart. So it oh. really does uh, run the gamut as to what categories are being disrupted. And there is sort of a, a common theme throughout. I mean, you mentioned these numbers, but uh, you just want to touch on those? Yeah, let's talk numbers here. So I was looking at this thing. This the CEO of Bright Pearl. He wrote this piece. He was like, "It's time to blow up your business model and switch to DCT." And he was saying all these pretty remarkable numbers. Like, according to a recent survey, fifty nine percent of respondents referred to do research directly on a brand's site. Fifty five percent want to buy from brands directly. I thought that was really interesting. Whether that's online or or brick and mortar, I, I guess. Um, so almost half, you know, 49% of manufacturers are now racing to build these direct-to-consumer channels. Uh, and the number of brands selling directly to consumers is expected to grow 71% this year in 
this year. So I think this was 2018 when he wrote this with a note with notable examples such as Nike and L'Oreal following suit. Additionally, Forbes said, according to one study, that over 80% of consumers plan to make purchases with direct-to-consumer brands by 2023. So it's not just what I what I gleaned from those numbers, Chaz, it's not just brands like Casper or Tufton Needle or uh, like you said, uh, Dollar Shave Club or Gloss glossier it's also the larger brands trying to get into this space as well right yep. it's not just it's people are buying you know that people are buying nikes now maybe directly from the nike site versus going to like stadium goods or champs for example yeah and nike has been somewhat of a trailblazer i know just in the last year there's been last couple of years there's been discussion around them um you know renegotiate or reevaluating the the role that uh, i guess a um a third-party reseller like uh, like Amazon can offer, right, right, uh, or even you know whether it's uh, Foot Locker, or, you know, uh, various other retailers, and, and Nike have created a more, I guess, seamless online shopping experience. And I think a lot of traditional brands are realizing that if they can, you know, foster a stronger relationship directly with their consumers, it is rendering a lot of these middlemen obsolete. So mm -hmm. I think. Uh, established brands or upstarts are, are sort of coming to a similar conclusion. One thing I will say to your point that you mentioned yeah. by the, the CEO of Bright Pearl, I'm, you know, as a perennial shoe browser slash shopper. Perennial millennial. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Perennial. Uh, I, I just, that, uh, that might be a portmanteau. I just wanted to say portmanteau. Um, I've never said it seriously within a conversation in my life so there's a first time for everything and i'm glad that you were here to witness that bread so thanks for that no but what i was what i was going to say is you know if i'm browsing shoes and i, I let's for example i did this yesterday i went to the new balance site there was a you do it every day let's just be honest i, 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 I do i pretty much do joe's new balance joe's new balance shout out yeah <laughs> but i looked at this i was for a trail running shoe and then I actually, you know, Googled a review of this particular model and I came across a cycle, believe in the run and, and they're very wow. fair and they're very objective and it gives the pros and cons and what have you. And it is a well-balanced review. Yeah. It, you know, there's a domain of objectivity. My thought is that if people are wanting these brands to essentially spruik the wares or, and the benefits of their own product, what is the role of objectivity in this? Like, I, I feel mm. like there's there's a lack of sort of objectivity if I'm just gonna, you know, drink the Kool Aid of whatever, whether it's whether it's Everlane, whether it's Nike, whether it's you know New Balance, whomever is putting out there. So I, I just feel like there has got to be that element of objectivity for people to take these sites seriously going forward. Have you got any thoughts on that? You know, it, it, it's interesting because I think I say that a lot. It's interesting. I'm I'm telling you what I'm about to say is interesting, so you think it's interesting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is something to, I think I look at that. I look at these direct to consumer brands, and I look at their advertising. It's very benefit driven, but it is kind of like better sleep to a certain extent. The the messaging is very, you know, from an advertiser's perspective, it's very like self evaluating adjectives, yeah. right? And I think yeah. they've, you know, it's better sleep now or, or whatever, whatever that is. And I'm thinking to myself kind of with my ad glasses on, okay, well, yeah, you're direct to consumer. You've, you think it's great because you have a vested interest in telling me that it's great. How is it great? Right. And I think they haven't got, gotten out of that messaging yet. I think it's also why curated places are still, there's still going to be a carved market for that. Yeah. Like curated curated places. You know, we were talking about whether it's uh credo we looked at, whether it's goop like we talked about. There's this other category, which we won't get into much now, but of just, okay, we we curate our products very, very specifically, and you can trust that what is in here we act actually like. Whereas the direct to consumer thing, even if it's brick and mortar or, or even online, to your point, there it's kind of like there's no real objectivity, right? That's what you're yeah. getting at. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Like a lot of these curators, they are essentially macro affiliate marketers. I mean, how that works for, to the layperson, hopefully I'm not butchering this, is that if they'll review a series of products and link to where you can buy it on Amazon, that um, site, that, that yeah, curator yeah. will get a kickback based on the percentage on Amazon, so d- depending on what the product is. And I think there's a sliding scale. So th- it, it's objective to a point. At the same time, they're going to want to, I guess, champion the more expensive product because it's more beneficial to what they're offering and you know they get a bigger kickback as a result so i guess i guess in a roundabout way i'm saying objectivity in any form is somewhat of a myth uh but at the same time some if if you're just buying a you know looking at shoes from a particular retailer of course it's it's not going to be a warts and all review of that back to your point you mentioned tuft and needle which is a sort of competitor in the uh, mattress space i i thought some of their advertising that they were running for a while, it was on bus uh, bus stops as well as out, you know, out of home. Billboard. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, they, and I, I didn't even know the name of it at the time because it the the URL that they drove you to was tn.com. It was www.tn.com. And it was literally just one line in their advertising. It didn't talk about the benefits of the, you know, the, the ingredients of the mattress. The, the line was mattress stores are greedy then tn.com i've seen this oh yeah yeah, there you go right so i didn't know it's tough to needle i just saw the tn.com and in a way that's sort of going i like that i like that it's a category play it's like guess what you've been overpaying for this life necessity for the longest time and that the middleman and other sort of markups are somewhat egregious and it's coming at the consumer's expense Yes. So the fact that they're sort of going, it's almost like our product is defined by what we're against, not what we offer. And, and I thought that was just a, quite a savvy branding move. I'm not sure how that's played out. It might have been too obscure for people to know because you and I, we just talked about this. We didn't even know it was for Tuft & Needle. But it is an interesting, I guess, disruptor play that a, that a D2C brand is playing. It's pretty bold. And I think it's, again, back with my ad glass, advertising glasses on. You're making a cat. You're making a, you're making a categorical p- claim, yeah. not necessarily a tough to needle claim, but that's fine. They're making the claim, so therefore they have they get to own that, right? Yeah. So I totally I totally get that. I think I think that's actually pretty interesting to go after, and I think what's baked into that is, and you know my my knowledge may be outdated at this point, but Casper seems to have either been and I don't know this for sure either have been acquired, and what was really interesting about Casper. At the time, it was very simple. It was one mattress, right? Yeah. One mattress shipped to your door. It was it was kind of just mind-boggling, right? That you would have a mattress shipped in a box, right? And I feel like either they've, just to case them really quick, either they've gotten a lot of investment and there's more voices in the room now, but they're now, they're doing the deal. You know, instead of, it was just like one mattress, one price shipped to your door. Easy, Right. Sure. That's the whole the whole benefit. The whole benefit of Casper and a lot of these was not the overwhelming choices that a mattress that a mattress, you know, store provides. People don't want a thousand different mattress options with a thousand different deals and gimmicks, right? That was the whole impetus for this for this mattress revolution. Just to talk about the direct to consumer mattress industry for a second. Casper seems to have just they're slowly sliding back into that. But they're doing like different types of mattresses now and accessories, you know, a light and a, and a, and a nightstand and, and there's deals now there's, there's savings codes and stuff like that. They're kind of peeling off. And I think what maybe tough, the needle has just done is said, Hey, we, we're sticking to this and this is our way of differentiating without saying, you know, we're, we're sticking to this and you guys are getting, you guys are getting hoodwinked by the, by the mattress stores and, and the gimmicks and the savings and the coupons and the, and the price, this, and the, you know, all the, all the, all the gimmicks that, that marketers or, or, you know, salespeople do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to the essence of what makes sort of a powerful brand and it's a, an ethos, it's an attitude, it's a way of being in the world to a certain degree. Right. And if you do fall into the, the bells and whistles, rabbit hole you can you know you're never going to own that in perpetuity i mean nike is nike because of the brand that, that that's you know been constructed around it i mean if nike didn't have a brand it probably would be asics 
you know, I mean, an A6 by by wide acclaim is perhaps a better product in some respects. Like if you if you got to if say let's take running shoes for example, the top reviewed running shoes in the world are frequently you know A6 or New Balance. And mm-hmm. how, when was the last time you saw an ad for either one of those two companies, or just heard it in the in the cultural lexicon, or even like a an upstart like Hoka Hoka One One, or even mm-hmm. like Three Sixty One Degrees? But Nike has constructed one of the strongest brands in in history, even though their product a lot of the time is not on par with the industry leaders. So that's what it comes back to. It's not just about the product. If you want to be sustainable, you need to build a brand of distinction. And yeah. when I say distinction of excellence, but also uh, unique and something that is ownable in the marketplace, which I think Ma- Nike has done a tremendous job over the years of. So just so moving right along, thought we'd jump into the five reasons why. How do you- Let's do it. So number one, five reasons why DTC brands are blowing up. The obvious one, as they say, if there's an elephant in the room, introduce it. I'm introducing this is margins. If there's an opportunity to squeeze out the middlemen, it behooves a corporation to do it. And in this case, if a company can foster a direct relationship with a consumer without having to skim off a little bit to give to a middleman or kick back to someone else, it is advantageous for that business. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on that? Do you think the middleman is I know I know it has kind of a pejorative sense. But like, is this just a carryover from the age where e-commerce was not really mature yet? You kind of needed that. You needed that either either the distribution channels and the marketing engines to do a, a an online you know marketing effort, or the inventory to back it up, or all the logistics in between in terms of delivery. You know, the middleman kind of took care of the products. People took care of the product, and then the middleman was the one that could that would push volume push the sales, the, how's the inventory? So yeah. all these things are starting to break up and you're starting to see that all the benefits, and I guess I'm answering my own question, I'm starting to see all the benefits of a middleman or the value that the middleman brought is kind of like bit by bit going away. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and you, I don't know why this springs to mind. I just think it was one of the first dominoes to fall in this, uh, this field is uh, travel agents. If you think back in the t- back in the day, oh, yeah. Yeah, if, if you needed to make a, any type of, whether it's a world tour or even like a domestic trip, uh, you, you needed to get on the phone to someone uh, and say, oh, you know, which flights are available and what have yeah. you. And that feels so anachronistic. To, to that end though, to that, it does. And I actually, to that end though, for me at least, when uh, my wife and I, when we started to plan our New Zealand trip, sorry, we went to the other island. Sorry about that. It's pronounced um, New Zealand. New Zealand. Uh, we were like, it, you know, Travelocity, you know, Orbits, and then deals, 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 this, 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 you know, lowest price, you know, lowest common denominator, right? Buy now in this window kind of thing. We were like, oh my gosh, can we just like have somebody to like help us plan this? Yeah. And we actually went back to that travel agent and it was delightful yeah. to have a travel agent to handle all that stuff. And perhaps that's more... Maybe they bring more of a value when it's uh, an international trip to a place you've never been before versus, you know, us flying to Los Angeles or, or somewhere else in the country. But yeah. I think to your point, some of those things that, that were housed in a travel agency, like, okay, when are these flights? Okay, how do I book this hotel? Yeah. You know, all that stuff is being, like you were saying, we can now as a consumer do that more directly. Yeah. We we can absolutely. The only snag and it's is easier. Yeah, it, it's easier. But but there's also what do they say? An abundance of choices uh, robs us from the ability to make a simple choice. And yeah, can, yeah, and it can rob us of any degree of satisfaction or peace of mind with the choice that we've made because we just don't know what we're doing. Just to drop another um, bit yeah. of fortune fortune cookie wisdom in there. What do they say? It's uh, we're drowning in data, but we're thirsty for insight. We're thirsty for wisdom and guidance. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, we we just yeah exactly. So we do if if you have the Google search bar and you can look at you know look at all the digital shelves online, but often you don't know who to trust. You don't know what the best decision is, and and you know there's various aggregators that can point you in the right right direction. But a lot of that wisdom, that human I guess taste and discernment is lost in this you know sprawl of the internet. So mm-hmm. it to be seen. But we're getting a little bit away from margin. Sorry. So yeah, margin. Back to margin. It's a good conversation. I think 
ultimately brands and you know startup companies are if they can save a dollar and not have to give a kickback to a middleman uh, i think the the business is probably more likely to succeed so i think that makes sense in that uh it's more viable for the business um from a profitability standpoint so number two reason why i think mm-hmm. dtc brands have been um you know spiking up everywhere is this low barrier to entry mm-hmm. now whether it's a single product or a limited release set of products there's a you know, there's really little to stop an enterprise, enterprising startup merchant uh, to produce and distribute a product. I mean, I, right. I've, you know, I'm sure you've had conversations. I've had conversations with past colleagues and friends. It's like, oh, what if we started a cosmetics brand? What if we started, a, you know, a, a flashlight brand and you know, gave it a really interesting brand? Like, there is no limit of things that you could create give it an interesting distinction in the marketplace, you know, yeah. have a well-designed site and get it off to the races. There, there is, it's not like you have to pony up for a brick and mortar uh, storefront and hang the shingle out front, shingle out front. It's really, you can jump on Shopify or whatever else and start your own brand. So the fact that there, there really is a little barrier to entry, you know, it does explain, I guess, this Cambrian explosion of DTC brands. Have you got any thoughts on that? I think it's awesome. I think one thing that technology has provided is that democratization of access to consumers. I won't yeah. say democratization because that, no, that makes good. it sound equal, but like, yeah. for example, for example, as a musician in the past, and I think this started early, this started with Napster, I think, whereas like slowly technology, no more could shelf space, whatever that is, right? Wherever that is, whether that's yeah. whether that's a a trinket, whether that's a a, a compact disc or a, a digital song, or you know whatever a video. There used to be shelf space was kind of the the wall, right? And you yeah. had to that was your barrier to entry, and you really had to scale up to one get distribution in a CD store or to be able to sell your product in a big box store, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or even a local regional chain, right? And there was, there was this bottlenecking of what your options were, right? And yeah. I think now technology has offered piece by piece, and we won't be able to dissect every single one, but I think the biggest one has offered this kind of the marketing tools for local, the marketing tools and, and just the, the point of sale tools that smaller businesses have or merchants or creators, like now they can, they can target market. They can target market now on social. They sure. can safe and securely transact online. Those are two huge things that you that we kind of now take for granted. But at the time, you know, before social media and before some of these sophisticated marketing tools, a local merchant or a local artist or creator couldn't necessarily find their quote audience. And yeah. I think that's what's really blown up. I think that's the low barrier. To, I think the barrier to entry was always shelf space and then it became marketing tools and once some of these things and that's just two of the few we started to democratize that access and people had more access to getting to those consumers you didn't need to spend a couple million dollars on a tv spot to reach consumers anymore yeah and that's huge for the small uh the small creator yeah and i think that's a really nice segue into the next reason why which i'm calling uh the digital apparatus yeah you mentioned whether it's you know a shop front, like sell, selling something from one's own a company's dot com, but yep. also having platforms, whether it's Amps, you know, Amazon, Instagram to sell on. Yeah. Uh, but then also the opportunity to raise funds on whether it's oh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, like a brand like Allbirds was started because of a video uh, done on Kickstarter, I believe. I think it was on Kickstarter. But it, it's a way, and I know, I think there was a cooler a couple of years ago. It, was, it sort of went a little bit viral because it was like the cooler to end all coolers and to Australian people, that's an esky. Um, it had like a stereo embedded in it. And it was like industrial nice. strength. Yeah, it was just quite a novel um, product. But you know, creating that, you know, the, a community to support, you know, uh, I guess a proof of concept, yeah. I think is uh, just didn't exist back in the day. Back in the day, you had to sort of take a punt on it. So a- any thoughts on that digital apparatus? I think the, I think for me, it's one of the biggest ones. Like it's the rise of consumer platforms. Brands simply no longer need to rely solely on distribu- distributors to stay in business, right? And many aren't, right? They're causing this tectonic change. 
you know, mobile technology, like I said, social networks are changing the way we shop. They're influencing consumer expectations in every aspect of our lives. I think that's really the thing. And it's access now to consumer data, consumer relationships, profit margins, and overall like, you know, customer experience from discovery to delivery. I think are there's more ownership of the direct direct to consumer options there's more ownership of that now they can do they can do all that they don't need to rely on somebody else and i think the digital you know back to the e-commerce and the tools i was just saying before the digital apparatus has allowed access to that and like you said access to also capital with yeah. like things like kickstarter right sure. you don't need to now do a, a series one or a series two to to get your thing off the ground so sure no I, th I think it's a good point and just sort of coming out of that in terms of you know a lot of these sort of fall could fall under lower barrier to entry is i'm calling no shelf space no problem now it's sort of i guess a you know dovetailing out of uh, low barrier to entry yeah um there's really uh, any business back in the day had to like there was a necessity of housing inventory now that has gone away now it can succeed in the case of bonobos which got acquired a menswear brand another menswear brand was uh attempted it just shut up shop and i think uh covid actually killed it was hill city which was a men's athleisure wear it was attempting oh, yeah. to be, it was owned by gap i believe it was attempting to be the man the, the men's model of what the success they've had with athleta which is their sort of outdoor athleisure wear for women. Yep. So uh, I believe uh, Hill City died earlier in the pandemic. But, um, you know, the, the model is, you know, seems to be popping up in a few different places. Uh, the fact that they can have a very basic showroom, host house inventory there, and then basically stock up as orders come in uh makes you know mitigates the risk that a business has to sort of take on so i think that's another reason that you know the risk is diminished by um having you know not not needing to stock stockpiles of inventory any thoughts on that the death of big box stores you know you yeah. don't need you don't need a huge warehouse to do stuff and i think there's all these other little sophistications that have helped you know the direct to consumer thing i think the other thing is the innovation uh and efficiencies in supply chains right you don't need to make a whole bunch of stuff and then try to sell it you can actually kind of you can kind of make stuff as you go and as people have gotten more you know for example like casper right casper yep. ma making that mattress and i'm going to probably speak out of my out of my league for a second but going back to that casper example i know we're using that as kind of a case building that mattress probably takes a lot less effort and they can make them faster than making a bunch of spring mattresses that they have to house somewhere wrap in a yeah. warehouse right so they can yeah. actually keep their their inventory low and i think that's that a lot of them to do is they can leverage they were they were leveraging these kind of these kind of ridiculous terms that are very like customer focused right like sleep on it for 90 days if you don't like it sure send it back you know yeah. who would a big box store or like you know a mattress company would would could you sleep on something for 90 days and then return it uh, sure. maybe maybe not but the fact that you can do that i think is is pretty incredible um, well that's yeah. i mean you actually had this as the fifth reason why you, yeah you had nimble and adaptable and just yeah. from what you're what you're describing just then does speak to that it's yeah. it's a, a a brand or any type of startup has to be opportunistic and has to i guess create circumstances that give the some type of advantage compared to these traditional retailers so do you want to unpack that a little bit further yeah i think larger brands are starting to take note on this and i think these direct-to-consumer brands are providing an insight into for lack of a better word digital asset execution right and consumer mm -hmm. advocacy people who are passionate about their products you know product and service benefits driven advertising right you know hyper personalization with the, with a scalable i just said scalable and we talked about corporate jargon with a scalable yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> digital uh, ecosystem that proves profitable over time we're seeing that you know there's this blend of trust and trendiness that i think is really a sweet spot and I think it's it's allowed them to adapt. They don't have to, they don't have a big, they can change. I mean, I've seen, I've seen some direct-to-consumer brands where like last year they were totally different than they were this year, 
more traditional ones can't move as fast. That's obvious because they're bigger. I think a lot of them are trying to start to launch their own kind of direct to consumer model. We're yeah. seeing that a lot. We mentioned that before. Anyway, I think they have to do it to, I think, to protect their current revenue streams. They have to adapt. And what's, I think, what's interesting is they can change stuff, I think, a little bit faster. Like, you know, we're talking about nimble and adaptability. It's just, just by the very nature of the structure, they don't have the overhead. They don't have, they don't have relationships with other retailers who need to push product. If it's all in house, you can move quicker than, oh, well, if I make this decision, that's going to affect Target. Or if I'm, if I make this decision, that's going to, you know, Walmart's going to have an issue. We have a deal with Walmart. So therefore we can't do that. You know, Mm -hmm. it allows you all the other vested interests are kind of removed and it allows you to to adapt to the marketplace much more quickly, and uh, I think that in an ever changing, faster marketplace where where tastes change, values are are more important in terms of where what brands stand for. All those things really bake into why the direct to consumer brands are are doing really really well. Hope that totally. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So just to recap of the five reasons, re- five reasons why, uh, number one, margins, the middlemen are being squeezed out. Number two, a lower, low barrier to entry in starting up a yeah. direct-to-consumer brand. Number three, the digital apparatus that helps you sell your product as well as raise capital for that product. Uh, number four, no shelf space, no problem. Uh, there really is not needing a, a great deal of inventory to keep on hand allows for a n- more, I guess, um, nimble and, yep. and feasible scenario. And the number yep. five reasons why nimble and adaptable versus, I guess, quote unquote, a legacy or traditional corporations. Yeah. So they oh. are the five reasons why. Uh, oh, really quick, I want to add to the nimble part here. I think me. something that's super important that we overlooked or that I overlooked is the shipping innovations. Mm. Yeah, I was just thinking about this. Think about how sh- how they've pushed the innovation in shipping, and I don't mean like the the sophistications of of logistics, which has gotten better, right? We've got yeah. tracking. We can, you know, things are more reliable when they're shipped. All that stuff, and we can thank Amazon and FedEx and UPS and USPS for that, right? But think about, for example, like I said, Casper. The delivery mechanism of that mattress, you know, that's a shipping innovation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, no. think about think the about way to wrap it up. You mean tightly wound? Is that what yeah. you're talking? Yeah yeah, 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 really well done. And think about Warbly Parker. You know, yeah. oh, how can we get people to do to engage us with a highly personal item that typically you have to go try stuff on, try stuff on again, look in the mirror, decide, narrow it down, right? All that stuff. They've figured out a, a way to do that through shipping. Right. I think that's like, you know, that's just two examples, right? I think there's a lot of other examples of that, but I think the shipping innovation has eaten into that kind of brick and mortar experience that we typically had to rely on in the past. I think that's a good point. Uh, You know, what do they say? A lot of people say it's necessity is the mother of invention, my friends. Mm -hmm. And I I do think if you go, all right, well, we don't have uh, shop, you know, brick and mortar stores, we have to get savvy and sophisticated around how we connect consumers to our products, especially a case like Warby Parker. That's a great example because, you know, talk about a high, highly involved purchase. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. super expensive, but at the same time, it's like people want to see how they look on their face and all the innovations that Warby Parker has done with showing how a particular set of glasses can look upon the person's face is pretty damn impressive, frankly. So that's true. It's a really good point to call out. There's other ones, uh, Stitch, Stitch Fix, a, a lot, bunch of other ones where you know it's tr- try before you buy kind of thing. Um, sure. Anyway, yeah, and, and Stitch Fix that that's a um, vasectomy reversal company. Is that right? It is. Yes, that, that's what I thought. No, I just wanted to clarify. So moving on to patron <laughs> saints. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I I had some interesting ones here because I wanted <laughs> sorry, to wind. That, sorry, that joke just totally set in. Finally, <laughs> okay. Sorry, uh, I wanted to uh, talk about the patron saint of yes. um, of DTC. Yeah, and a couple I wanted to touch on. You know, we we mentioned many already today. We've you know obviously talked about Casper a lot. We've talked about you know bonobos. We've talked about all birds. A range of these. Um, but I think the patron saint, if you ask me, is IKEA. 
Now, ah. that was a brand that was born in the digital realm, but their, yeah. their flat-packing innovation and, I, I guess, the commoditization of attractive but affordable furniture, they were a real trail and only stocking their own, own inventory. They were a real trailblazer in, in the DTC space. Uh, you got any other thoughts? Totally. I mean, think about it. They they own their they own their their properties, right? Their stores. Yeah. They own that. They own that experience. They own. They they make all their furniture. They everything is in house. And what's I think what's, here's here's what I think is actually a real value that people don't really I think quite comprehend unless you point it out. Think about think about if you went to IKEA and it was just a blizzard of complicated pricing yeah it's you know get, like you go to a mattress store right you know buy buy to buy this week this sale you know the things i was saying before kind of these these kind of short sale marketing gimmicks and i'm just going to call them gimmicks because they are mm. where you confuse the consumer i think for them it's like it's very simple you know i think other other ones like that for example are and it's not it's not analogous but like trader joe's you know they don't have the pricing the clarifying, the clarification yeah. of pricing, the straightforwardness of pricing has value to people. People, yeah, because it saves people brain space and time. That is a huge value. What is the price? Sure. Period. Right? I think IKEA has done that. I think a lot of them that do that. I think what, Ver let me tell you, a big one that doesn't do that, and they're just a retailer, is Verizon. Yes, they sell mm -hmm. the service. Oh, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What am I getting, and what's the price? Yeah, again, you know, and I think they're getting better with that. But like, I think more and more customers are starting to say, "Hey, look, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want smoke and mirrors. I want a yeah. straight price, and I want to just know what it is, even if it's more." You know, I, yeah. Apple, the, Apple's done this too, right? Now, I think they're starting to creep into this kind of savings mentality, which really i think would make steve jobs rise from the dead and choke people but like <laughs> he would he hated that yeah and everybody knows it and they are doing it anyway but anyway so uh i think that's a huge value here and i think ikea that's just a case in that yeah it, it is i also there is a cautionary tale to tell about um clarity of pricing though and um yeah tell it was me. when uh geez, I, I think his name is ron johnson and he was the he oversaw all the apple stores like the the apple store division of apple and then for like he was sort of the the head of that division and then for some reason oh, I'm sort of going to you know get a little hazy on the exact dates i want to say it's around That's maybe right. 20, 2014 or so but maybe a little earlier but he ended up going and becoming the ceo of jc penny and he, oh, and he basically that. said, and, and he goes, you know what? You know how every, since time immemorial, you know, a something has been $13.99. You know, it's, everything is, you know, $19.99. Even cars do it. You know, it's, they, they go up to the highest number in order to seem marginally cheaper than, you know, one cent cheaper than $14 versus $13.99. Yep, 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 yep. And he said, and he ran a whole campaign around this. I remember it actually featured Ellen uh, for a while. One of them did. And he said, uh, we're about this, uh, you know, we're going to be straight, a straight price. We're not going to hoodwink anyone. And for whatever reason, that didn't fly. And, he, you know, he redid the logo. JCPenney was known as a discount retailer. So I, I guess people were sort of looking for a deal. So when he said, actually, you know what, we're going to be straightforward with people, it, it somehow backfired. Now, I'm sure yeah. there are a lot of logistical realities. I, I do think you know this price the science of pricing is probably quite sophisticated and there's probably a lot of evidence around why that is, is clear clear you mentioned verizon you know at&t not an endorsement at all on my behalf I, you know i've dealt with these people for a long time um i've one time i actually met with someone and they would they said you'll get free tv you'll get a free tv and like this was only you know maybe four three years ago and i was going oh so when do i get my tv and she goes oh no, no I, I meant just the channel you'll get this cable with you i was just like oh. like this went for like an hour and i'm like, <laughs> I'm like talk about it. and she was you know a very a very good salesperson and you know i was i was satisfied with my experience but i'm like i was being hoodwinked in the middle of the day 
at at t Union Square. I was like, geez, well, it, it can happen to anyone, even if you go in sort of uh, very highly attuned with your BS detector, you know, going into this conversation. So, I don't know, I'm sort of going off track a little bit. No, but I I, I'm tracking if, with you. I do think um, the public's appetite with this degree of, as you put it, smoke and mirrors is probably dwindling a bit. And I do think the transparency of what DTC brands can offer can, uh, I guess, uh, capitalize on those smoke and mirrors. I think people are just kind of over it. I think just clarifying of pricing is something that people want. And I think direct-to-consumers, direct-to-consumer brands have been able to do that better because they don't, their interests are not compromised. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, who have you got? We, we don't have sonic embodiment. I just had a oh, thought. So I'll, I'll mention all Aldi, Aldi, they do the same thing, right? We were talking about patron saints. They are yeah. just like, they don't make their own stuff and maybe they do, but like, it's all just straight and Aldi is own owns uh, Trader Joe's by the way, but those yeah. prices are just, yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, I, did, I did not Aldi know owns that. Trader Joe's. Yeah. Wow. There aren't too many oldies. I, I haven't seen any in California. They're, they're certainly, they're much bigger in Australia than they are here, but I know that certain regions of the US, they've, they've been growing a fair bit. I remember I worked on the brand very briefly in 2014. My parents are huge fans of Aldi. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Like, and it's no, it, it's just, you go in there, there's no like, it's just like crates. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I just yeah. love it. It's like, we have, we have just minimized everything just to give you the most direct. It is kind of a direct, it's very direct. Yeah. You know, so I love that. Dollar Shave Club you talked about, have they been purchased? I feel like they've- Yeah, they were uh, by Unilever uh, uh, a couple of years ago and, and they actually just rebranded. Um, so they're expanding into overall sort of grooming products outside of the shaving which I, I'm not, I know they've had a misfire here and there, but what really sort of launched them into the stratosphere was that original spot that was beautifully done. Um, what's his name? Michael Dubin, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's a magnificent spot. And like he's clearly trained in a little bit of comedy, but taking a straight commodity uh, and turning it into what was, became a little bit of a phenomenon for a hot period there, it was quite amazing. Oh, it's, it, well, it was a disruptor and it actually really, yeah. I think what it exposed kind of like what Casper originally and some of the, the other ones in that scene where they exposed the kind of the cartel of, of mattress pricing, yeah, you know, yeah. The, the syndicate, so to speak, and, and the cartel of razors and, and yeah. controlling the prices of razors. And, you know, it's kind of like ink cartridges in that sense. I'm waiting yeah. for, I'm waiting for printers to be disrupted. Can anybody please disrupt the printing industry? It is yeah. archaic. That's a good point. And, you know, print printing ink. ink is actually the most expensive commodity pound for pound on earth. More than gold, more than platinum, you name it. Like the, there's all these more than like crude oil. Like they've they've actually there's a lot of infographics around this. Like how because you know you buy a cartridge, there's hardly anything in it, but it costs you know twenty, thirty, fifty bucks, whatever it is. And it's like that amount of I mean you know Grange Hermitage, you know like, that was some of the finest wine in the world is sort of more uh, <laughs> more affordable than a lot of cartridge cartridge ink. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, that, so that, that's my point is that like some of these kind of smaller accessories where they control the pricing of it, right? Like a razor, they'll give you a, they'll sell you a really nice Mach 3 all, all metal razor handle. But then when you actually go online and you try to find razors, they're like 30 bucks for three of them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so they set you up for this kind of dependency and that's why i call it it's kind of it is a it's a cartel that, that's by definition it's a cartel it's a sin it's a syndicated way to control the supply chain to get you to keep using something that you need now right yeah so and, dollar shave club broke that broke that up I, I also i like what he went after um i remember a line in that first spot is don't pay for shave tech that you don't need and he talked about this <laughs> unending, uh, you know, race to greater sophistication of the the mechanism. You know, it was like the the, the Mac three, and then there was the Quattro and the Chic Quattro. Like, you know, basically, uh, Gillette and and Chic were going like hammer and tongs. Who can create a more sophisticated blade? And then it's like, well, actually, I think we're over over engineering this at the wazoo, and you really just need something a little more pedestrian, frankly. So I think that was a that was a good. Uh, was it a way to justify the pricing? 
I think so. Yeah, they were saying, how do we increase our margins if we if we make it look like there is a sophisticated engine of the thing that shaves my face every day? And you know, just all the contours and all this, all this sort of extraneous crap. Ink is the same. Ink is an analogous case to this, right? It's you buy the printer. It's super cheap, actually. You're like, it's only yeah. what? But then I had a printer where it was even if I just did black and white printing. I needed to buy every single color for the thing to function. Yeah. Even if I never used it. So that's another level, right? So yeah. like I had to use, I had to get our CMYK, all the different inks for even if I just used the black ink, which is the majority of what we use. And sure. I had to pay however much money, $30 a cartridge or something like that for all of those. So it was essentially my printer was held hostage until I could pay to actually get it to work. I mean, that's essentially what it was. So I think the printing industry for everybody out there, it's ripe for disruption. It needs, it needs to be simplified. It needs to be disrupted. So I, I think you're right. And um, so just on that, let's go segue into the uh, sonic embodiment. Have you, have you got one? Oh, I was thinking about this. I don't. Well, I, I'm just going to throw this one in and it just came to me. It's said I loved you, but I lied uh, by Michael Bolton. <laughs> and I think why I've chosen that is that, you know, we a lot of the time we sleepwalk through life and we don't, we, we just make decisions and we think they're conscious decisions, but we're really just on autopilot. We're just buying the same razors. We're buying the same mattresses. We're buying the same furniture from places that we always thought uh was our, our choice, a conscious choice. But it's only when a direct-to-consumer brand comes along that upsets the apple cart and changes our perception of what is real and true and good in this world in the year of our father 2020. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think that Said I Loved You But I Lied is the clarion awakening that Oof. each of us can experience when we stop, drop, roll, then arise and put a greater lens of scrutiny on our choices. So there is no one better to encapsulate that spirit than the early 90s crooner, he of magnificent, luxurious mullet named Michael Bolton. I'm more of a oh, really? how, am I, how am I supposed to live without you kind of. Oh, of well, there you go. Um, wow. I don't know how that relates, but we'll 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 drop that. We'll drop that in the in the in the episode. Um, I evidently he he tried to make his uh, he tried to make his career as a metal singer first. That's what I heard. Yeah, I forgot about that. What about he was doing those Honda commercials a couple of years ago? Remember those? No. Yeah, he was like around Christmas. I think he was. He they sort of were, were playing into his the nostalgic crooner of course of him. But so yeah. he was kind of a caricature of himself. A little bit, but it's kind of harder to pull off now because he's got a haircut. He, he doesn't. He's not rocking the the locks anymore. No, and he, he's actually not a bad looking older man. I mean, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, he, he cut the locks. But uh, in a way, I think it was like, what's the biblical character? Sam Samson and Samson. He got his strength through his hair. I think there was mm -hmm. a degree of that with Michael Bolton, which is, I guess, why you see a lot of great singers of the past never cut their hair. You know, all those guys in Kiss. You know, I don't think anyone's cut their hair. 
Hair is brand. Yeah, no hair doubt. Hair is about brand. It. Hyperlinking to our executive haircuts episode. <laughs> Listen to it. It's a gem. All right. What else have we got, my friend? Uh, well, I've okay. So, oh wait, wait, hold on. We got some. We got some questions here. Let's look here. So, okay, Chaz, I have a question. Like, what are the traditional brands? Like, what's their takeaway? Like, what are big brands taking away from this? Being like, okay, we're taking note. I mean, I I think it's pretty straightforward. Adapt or die. And yep. when you see a brand like uh, Nordstrom acquired Trunk Club, I believe at some point, but I, I think building, strengthening the relationship uh, that a brand has with its consumers uh, yeah. is like an existential need that brands mm-hmm. need to make today. They they can't be at the mercy of middlemen and other third parties. So I think uh, that's that's really the key lesson for me. What about yourself? Why am I soft in the middle? Why am I soft in the middle, Chaz? The rest of my life is so hard. Wow, Paul, I'm impressed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have to ask you a question. Do you see angels in the architecture? I do. Okay. I do every day. I'm glad. Even bungalows. Um, <laughs> so here's like, okay, we have a social question. Okay. Uh, what industry, I can't say their, I can't say their username. It's too, it's too naughty, but I can say, uh, what in, okay, Chaz, what industry lacks a direct to consumer component? So we talked about printing so that, yeah. What's another one that you think really lacks that component that could really be ripe for disruption as we talk about? I mean, any that I would say, I, I think are already well under the way, you know, I, I think mental health, uh, we're seeing a lot of breakthroughs in that. I oh Yeah. I believe it's called Talkspace. Talkspace. It's, it's, yeah, it's essentially democratizing access to therapists, from what yeah. I understand. I, yes. I've not used it myself. Uh, so I think that's a great one. I think uh, health and fitness in general, that there's been a – I feel like that has been um, an, influencer, an influencer-led series of innovations yep. where, you know, through social and what have you. But, for example, I'm not aware right now of a DTC, uh, I guess uh, – you know what? As I'm as I'm talking, then I was going to say, Peloton. Peloton's a great uh, disruptor. Oh in yeah, it's re- it's literally in the home. So I've answered my own question there. I, I'd say mental health is a big one. Yeah. Uh, you get any other thoughts? No, that that was that one's for you. So I, there's one for me here. It says, Britt, what's your favorite direct to consumer products? Orden Alps. Uh, w- what is that? They are. They are an all natural. They're like all natural deodorants, and huh. they're kind of like a bird's bees for just men, for men. Okay, right? Which sounds fine, but there's a lot of those, right? But sure. these actually work. Like, there's a deodorant I use for it. Sorry to get personal, but it actually works, and it's not. It's all natural. I, I don't know if you remember. There was this joke on Portlandia. There was a skit called Mother Son, where it was like called Mother Son, and it was like. You know, it's got oatmeal and lavender, and most importantly, nothing works. You know, it's like <laughs> this joke, right? It's so good. But, um, you know, Orzen Alps is like really, really good. They are direct to consumer. You can order them through Amazon, but I order directly through their website. Their pricing is pretty straightforward. If you're not careful, you can sub- you end up subscribing instead of buying one time. So I'll warn you there. But they have really great stuff. It's all natural. There's no there's no parabens or anything like that. I've come to really love what they've offered. Uh, guys, because I've always wanted like an all natural, all natural stuff, but I've never, uh, I've never been able to find um, that that actually worked. So Orzenops is mine, and that is Great. not a paid, that is not a paid endorsement. That's it. Everybody have a good, good uh, rest of week. Uh, you are listening to the Furious Curious, hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice, and my stunningly handsome swashbuckler strategy whiz colleague. And co-host, Charlie Quark, here from San Francisco, California. Thank you, my friend. That was very kind. Back at you. And uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious and on Twitter at the FRS CRS. We welcome your comments, insults, constructive feedback, as well as suggestions for what we can do next. Until next time, come back to us next week. Until next time, stay curious. Out. Out.